All right, let's get started. So today we've got Tag Thompson here from Nationwide Property Liquidators, and uh, we're going to go ahead and kick it off. So thanks for coming, Tag. Yeah, man, I'm excited. Yeah. So. Cool. Awesome. Go ahead. Well, um, Tag, if, if you just start telling our members kind of um, where you where'd you go to college, kind of what you were studying, and what you kind of, I don't know, what did, what did the direction look like from when you were in college, and what that um, what did the direction look like you were looking to do? Kind of fumbled my words right there, but uh, no, I got you. Um, you kind of get what, what yeah, I'm what, saying. What were, you, yeah. what were you looking to do? What was your path? And mm-hmm. then where did you actually end up? How did you find real estate? Yeah, well, it definitely wasn't real estate. I um, I grew up uh, incredibly poor, and the idea of even home ownership was just way outside of mm-hmm. like an idea of what I thought was possible. Um, but I started in college here in Chattanooga and ended up um, had a job at this little animal hospital over on 23rd Street and just like cleaning up after animals, just doing stuff like that and pretty quickly got a promotion uh, just managing inventory. Mm-hmm. So counting pills, doing all that kind of stuff and it was really frustrating. I'm kind of naturally a person who hates inefficiency mm-hmm. so seeing how inefficient that process was really bothered me. So, um, and this is a long time ago, but um, Computers were around, but the internet really was just kind of getting to be a thing that a lot of people had. So most places didn't have a software that ran their company. Um, so they had paper files and all stuff like that. And my roommate was a, a computer programmer. So I was telling him how frustrated I was that this whole process was so inefficient and took so much of my time. And he said, man, I can build a program that'll help you, you know, categorize all that stuff, manage your inventory so that when it's time to order stuff, Really just print a sheet off and hand it to him. So, um, so he did that literally just because I was lazy, right? I uh, didn't think mm-hmm. anything about it. It was just a, a thing to make things easier for me. And one of our vendors came in one time, and I printed off the sheet and handed it to him, and he was just blown away at how quick and easy that was. So a few weeks later, he brought uh, some executives from the company down, and they offered to buy that software from me. So the first oh, wow. company I sold, I was 20 years old, and. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. They slid a check and a piece of paper across the counter <laughs> and uh, and said, "Hey, like sign this," and you know, and we own the company, so they own the software. So that's what I did. Looking back, it was a huge mistake. I sold that thing for nothing, mm-hmm. um, but at the time, it was a life changing amount. I made five thousand dollars, right? So <laughs> I literally quit my job. I thought this was again, okay, from my perspective, five thousand dollars was just this ridiculous amount of money mm-hmm. um, it is a lot of money but not enough to quit anybody's job so mm. um, so yeah that was the first time I really realized that you can make money kind of outside of a normal get a job do a thing you know get paid for it so um, so from that point forward it was really hard for me to even keep a job because mm-hmm. I was just constantly like had that thirst for building something new and then selling it so for entrepreneurship yeah mm-hmm. yeah so um I ended up taking forever to get my undergraduate degree, mainly because I was always on to some sort of thing. Um, ended up getting my undergraduate degree in like six years until um, so I really found a love for uh, economics. I mean, that's kind of my educational background. Um, so I, I went from there, ended up getting a master's in applied economics uh, after um, my undergrad degree and used that as kind of the basis for how I chose businesses to be involved in. So that first little piece of software I sold um, turned into opening a coffee shop, turned into uh, a 
clothing store, turned into a data center, turned into multiple software companies. And, um, and all that was going well. I ended up, because I kind of started in an animal hospital, I kind of knew how it worked. So I started opening animal hospitals. And mm-hmm. uh, over time, I opened and sold 11 different animal hospitals. Um, and I got rid of the last one in 2017. So I finally kind of vested of all that stuff. And was really just kind of looking for the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and my my complete experience with real estate was just really with my personal homes. And we had actually done well. I'm kind of a handy guy. So we'd flipped all the houses that we lived in, um, you know, for years. Every single house we lived in was a fixer-upper, and we fixed it up and sold it. And we had done well with that. But it really never crossed my mind that there's really money to be made in real estate. Um until I met my friend and now partner, David Olds. Uh, we met through a local charity we were both involved in and just developed a friendship. We started traveling together, and uh, we were in Asheville at one point, and the Airbnb that he had booked was like two hours. Maybe it was me that booked it. I don't remember, but it was two hours outside of Asheville for some reason. So it was a big group of us going. Mm-hmm. So there was this four-hour drive back and forth uh, to our Airbnb, and he told me about contract assignment. Um, you know, real estate acquisitions through contract assignment. And I just, honestly, I didn't believe him. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you can't do that. Like, how is that even a thing? Um, Mm -hmm. So I was just really fascinated with the idea of, um, of contract assignment. Mm -hmm. And so again, my brain went to work immediately on how can I do this, this thing that traditionally has been more of a side hustle in the, um, in the real estate world. And to me, I'd tell you, it is the best side hustle anybody can have. Like it really is like the barrier to entry is so low getting into wholesaling and yet the returns can be so big. Um, it's just, it's a really, really good thing to kind of get your foot in the door. Um, the problem is most, nobody at the time had really turned that into a business. You know, it was typically college students or maybe a husband and wife team that, that did wholesaling. There weren't really wholesaling businesses. So, but that's my background was creating businesses. So, um, I talked to him, finally convinced him to jump into this idea of creating a structured and systemized wholesaling business. So, um, we did that um, at the end of 2017, and um, we're in our offices here in Eastridge, and things are going really well. We're, we're probably one of the, we're definitely probably the largest wholesaling company in the Southeast. Um, um, but things things have gone really well. Like mm-hmm. we've been able to scale, and now we we buy, sell, wholesale properties all over the country um, in 38 states. Wow. So, yeah. Well, um, Tag, you mind if I take you back a little bit to the animal hospital? Yeah. Um, what was it like, you know, bringing those resources together and starting that animal hospital? You know, can you kind of describe uh, the situation of how you kind of built the team to do that? Or did you do it by yourself, or how yeah. kind of? Um, pretty much everything I've done with businesses has been just like I started with the business I'm with now has been kind of an idea um, and being able to to take an idea and then find partners that we can kind of fit together. And in the animal hospital world, it was especially unique because it requires somebody to have a pretty pretty high level of education and expertise and skill. Mm-hmm. You've got to have veterinarians. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're just like doctors. They have a lot of education, a high level of skill. So... Um, bringing people that have that skill level to be agree to partner with somebody like me who doesn't have that skill set, basically let me be their boss, mm-hmm. um, um, was, was really difficult. But I found that very early on, some very early mentors that I had 
um, a lot about culture creation and organizational behavior and making sure that the environment you're creating is a healthy one. And if you do that, you'll be surprised how quickly people around you will get on board with whatever your mission is. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been able to, to kind of do that in all the, the businesses that I've tried. Um, but because I, I kind of came from an environment where I didn't really know what to do, I've kind of just had to figure it out. Like I tell people I fell ass backwards in kind of every, yeah. every opportunity that was in front of me. And I've just I've been lucky enough to have the right people in place that helped me accomplish those things. Mm -hmm. so. And um, what kind of mental barriers did you you know have to break through along the way? Yeah, stupidity is a big one. Um, <laughs> no, I, you know I've been really lucky that um, again I had some really good early mentors that that helped me see things a lot faster than I would have if mm -hmm. I had if I had done them on my own. You know, um, you know the first mental block you have to get past is when people tell you something is impossible, right? And mm -hmm. luckily my personality is a little bit like, tell me if it's not possible and I'm going to figure out a way to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I started going to the animal hospital world, a lot of people said, well, you're not a veterinarian, you can't do that. Like, a lot of people said legally you can't do that. So in some of these situations, I actually had to go to court and fight for my ability to own an animal hospital. So um, so there's a, a lot of a lot of people will tell you you can't do something. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're in real estate, there's going to be a lot of people that tell you that um, for a lot of different reasons. Because in real estate, there's, um, there's a million different ways you can be a real estate investor. I mean, it's almost limitless. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, what we do right now at my company is contract assignment. But you can fix and flip. You know, you can do condo conversions. You can... Um, do land development. You can do debt. I mean, there's just a million different things that you can do in the real estate space. Mm -hmm. And if people don't understand that particular investment strategy, a lot of times they'll tell you, oh, you can't do that. Like mm -hmm. that, that doesn't work or like that's very risky. So mm -hmm. um, you will have a lot of people constantly telling you, you can't do something if you choose that entrepreneurial path. Um, you know, in fact, if you look at the definition of what an entrepreneur is, it's a person who finds significant resources to start something that isn't kind of an established business. So mm -hmm. I'm not opening a Smoothie King or a McDonald's like you're starting something from scratch. Yeah. Like you're mm -hmm. building something and using your own resources or other people's resources to try to get that off the ground. So when you're, when you're in that kind of situation, you have to get very used to very early on people discouraging you. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, it's just very common. I mean, your parents, your friends, family, everybody will, there will be some people in your life that will always tell you either you can't do it or it's not wise. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's a big problem. Um, I don't know if that's a mental barrier. Mm -hmm. Um, again, I've, uh, I think my, my inability to doubt myself is probably something that's helped me a lot too. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a tendency to get into something and just not really quit until it's done yeah. so um yeah yeah so sort of going in to talk about your business now and off of what you're just saying with wholesaling a lot of people will say it's illegal and that's something yeah. that i just saw you on a podcast talking about it i think last week is like some people don't even understand it and they think you're breaking the law mm -hmm. and like you have this business there's no way that all the people in the world there's so many people wholesaling there's no way that these many people are wholesaling when it's illegal it's like what what would you say um, what do you say to defend the, the stance that it is legal? Uh, so I don't really need to. So the hmm. like wholesaling, the idea of contract assignment is written into pretty much the oldest contract law you can find. Hmm. So going way back to the, the system in Great Britain that we kind of inherited for our legal system, contract assignment is in there. 
Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, basic contract law states that any contract that doesn't prohibit its assignment is assignable. So unless in the contract it says you can't assign it, you can assign it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so any contract is assignable. In fact, it's pretty hard today in the U.S. to actually purchase anything where there isn't a contract assignment involved. If you buy a banana mm-hmm. at Walmart, there is a wholesaler that brought a contract from a farmer in Peru or Guatemala to Walmart and said, hey, I've got a contract to buy bananas for 25 cents each. I'll sell you that contract for X amount of money. So contract assignment is involved in every single thing we do in our country. Um, Pretty much any product you buy, any service you do, there is at some point in that supply chain, a contract was assigned. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why it is a, it is, assignments are a very foundational point of contract law. So a lot of people who don't understand the world of contract assignment think that, first of all, they may, they may see something being unethical in it, right? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable talking about that uh, because people do tie if something is ethical to something that's legal. Mm-hmm. Um, it is definitely legal. There are a few states that have re- like real estate regulations involved in it. Um, you know, Ohio limits the amount of assignments you can do in a, ye- in a calendar year if you're not a realtor. Um, the city of, um, not Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. you actually have to have a license. It's like 150 bucks. You get a license and then you can wholesale. Um, so there are a few states that have limitations and regulations on, on real estate contract assignment. But other than that, you can assign a contract in any state uh, without any handcuffs at all. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is it ethical? Like that's, I think that's a better question. Um, so is it ethical? Uh, it depends. I think there's a lot of people out there in my industry, and we should consider it a big shame to our industry that there are a lot of people out there that do take advantage of people. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some wholesalers that it's their practice um, is basically fraudulent behavior. There are a lot of wholesalers out there that, and if you don't understand what wholesaling is, basically you're going to a seller who's in a situation where for whatever reason, they either can't or don't want to list their property on the MLS with a realtor. Um, and it's, like I said, it's either can't or don't want to. So sometimes a situation where the property is so distressed or so bad, they can't get a realtor's attention, mm-hmm. right? Because realtors are paid off of commission off the sale price. And if the sale price is $7,000, most realtors won't get out of their car because the commission is so low. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes there's a property that the, they literally can't get a realtor's attention. Sometimes, believe it or not, people don't like realtors. <laughs> and, <laughs> and maybe they had a bad experience in the past, or maybe the last house they sold, they had, a, they had a bad experience with it, and they know that they had to pay such an exorbitant amount to sell their property. Um, you know, they, they don't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. So there are some people who, who fit into that category, and those are the only people we work with. In fact, that, so, so we go to those people and we say, hey, um, you know, we would like to give you an offer for your house um, and potentially purchase it So after our due diligence period. So we put that property under house, under contract, um, and then we have multiple exit strategies. We can either buy that house and flip it, we can buy it, turn it into a rental property, um, or we can uh, do a contract assignment. So at that point, we take that contract to purchase that property. It's basically an option. So if you're in stocks at all, like we basically have an option to purchase that property at a specific price. And then we can sell that contract to purchase that property to another investor who maybe it's a better fit for. 
Um, so that's contract assignment. So we make our, our business makes the money in the difference between what our contract is to purchase it and what the end investor is willing to pay. So unfortunately, there are people out there who literally just commit fraud every day. Um, they think wholesaling is just go find, ask every seller on the planet what they want for their house, put it under contract, and just go try to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order for a contract assignment to be legal, you have to have the intent or ability to actually follow through on that contract. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing that, that's the definition of fraud. So if you're getting into any contract without the intention of completing that contract, that's fraud. So um, so a lot of, of wholesalers, unfortunately, maybe they had bad education, maybe they just don't know any better, or maybe they do know better, but they're still willing to do it, are committing fraud every day. Um, every property that my company puts under contract, we have the ability to close on. Um, so in fact, we do that fairly often. Um, so unfortunately, there are some people out there that practice it unethically, and I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. So a lot of people, like, they take that unethical behavior and say that it's illegal, but it's, it's just not. Anybody who tells you the whole thing is illegal really just doesn't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. so you mentioned before that wholesaling for a lot of people is more of a side hustle, but mm-hmm. you've taken it and turned it into a business. Can you talk about what the growth of the business has looked like? And did it start out sort of as a side hustle? Were you always trying to make it a business? Um, yeah. So everybody has to spend a season in hustle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and sometimes you spend multiple seasons throughout your life. Um, so hustling or a side hustle is, is typically a, a point to get you to mm-hmm. a better point. Nobody wants to hustle forever. Um, there's some people who might say they do, but they don't. Like nobody wants to work a million hours and be filled with frustration all the time. But um, but taking a, a, a side hustle to a business is typically pretty difficult. If you think about most side hustles, you know, I'm an Uber driver or I'm mm-hmm. um, Instacart. You know, thinking of a way to take that to creating a business that you can be hands off with and is sellable is something that's hard for a lot of people to to take and. And, and actually make that mental jump. Um, it's just that's one of the very few things that I'm good at. That's one of them, is being able to find something that seems to be very simple and then create a system that repeats it. Um, so, um, so yeah. So uh, there are a lot. There are tons. I mean, almost every day, I, even just in a small area like Chattanooga, I meet a new person who is into wholesaling. Like yeah. you do, and it's typically people like you guys. Like I'm a college student or. Um, or I'm trying to get away from a nine to five that I don't like, or I see it as a way to get into self-employment. And all of those are awesome. Like they really are. I really do see wholesaling is pretty much the best side hustle you can do because your potential to make a large amount of money in a short period of time is really good. So, um, so if you're doing, let's just say you're an Uber driver, sure, you can make 50 bucks in a night, but that's not going to get you away from your your uh, your nine to five, mm-hmm. um, but in wholesaling, man, you might have to work three months to get a deal. But then somebody's going to hand you a check at one point for you know, I mean, anywhere from five to thirty thousand dollars at one time, like one check. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that's the push they need to get them outside of whatever situation they're in. And that's the hustle season, right? It's the that's the season where, man, I'm just I'm doing all the grunt work that nobody wants to do. So for the potential of getting that one check so that it pushes me outside of, um, you know, my nine five or whatever. Um, and that's the hustle season. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't know how to get outside of that. Um, and in any form of investing, 
there's always two cycles. There's a buy cycle and a sell cycle. In every investing strategy, there's always buy and sell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, in real estate, your cycle's pretty long because it takes time for a closing to happen. So uh, we call it the cycle of death because what it really does is you get a deal, right? And you're really mm-hmm. excited and you work for three months to get that deal closed and then you get a lot of money and you're really happy, but now you don't have another deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now you got to work three more months to get another deal, to get it to close. So you just kind of end up in this consistent cycle of I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm rich, I'm poor. Yeah. And you can never break out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what we were able to do is break that cycle by splitting up that cycle into multiple divisions. So when we get a deal, when one of my acquisition managers gets a deal, they're not thinking about anything else. As soon as that contract is signed and they've handed the seller off to our transaction coordinator, their focus is on the next deal. So they're immediately going on to the next one. And I've got four or five of those at a time that are constantly putting new deals in. So um, so we've created a system that, you know, when that happens, then it goes off and then we're selling those deals. So we still have a cycle, but the cycle is multiplied so that it doesn't feel like there's a start and a stop. Um, mm-hmm. So, so Yeah. That's the way you take any side hustle into a business is by basically breaking apart that cycle and creating a system. Mm -hmm. So, and we've been lucky enough to be able to create one now that really doesn't take any operational, like I don't have, my company runs whether I'm here or not. Mm. Um, You know, so, um, and that's kind of the goal all of us go, you know, want to go to as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Cool. Absolutely. Um, um, saying something about when you and David, when David started telling you about assignment contracts when you guys were in North Carolina. Um, so right off the bat, because, I mean, just off your personality, you're thinking, how do I make this systemized? Well, just right off the bat, were you thinking like that? Or did you guys, you know, take a few months and just, you know, kind of go in that three-month cycle? Or was it just kind of right off the bat? Well, no, I'm pretty sure that one round trip, I went from not knowing what I was doing (laughs) to like, now I know what I'm doing for the next 10 years. Yeah. So, um, no, it was very quick. And that's, again, that's kind of the one skill that I have. Um, And I really encourage you guys, there's a, um, there's, I don't even know if it's a book right now, but um, there's actually an old book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Pat, Pat Lencioni wrote that book. Well, he just kind of came out with a new program. I don't think it's a book, actually, uh, but it's called The Six Working Geniuses. Um, and it basically, you can isolate what your, if you look at a system, mm-hmm. like what part of the system are you good at? And I won't mm-hmm. go through all of them, but the first one's wonder, which is basically your ability to think something out of thin air, right? Mm-hmm. So just out of thin air, I came up with a concept or idea that's actually not mine. A lot of people think it is, but it's actually not. I'm not really great at that. I can do it if I have to, but I'm not great at it. Mine's actually the next portion, which is called invention. So what I'm really good at is taking your idea and putting it into a system that produces a a consistent result. I'm also Mm. not good at the execution of that system. So, Mm. um, and, and that's one thing. I mean, I love college students, especially to be able to talk about like you're at such a good season of life because like you're, it's such a low risk for you right now. Right. Like you can take immense risks. I'm 40 years old. I've got three kids. I mean, across all my companies, I've probably got 30, 40 employees. Like I can't take big risks right now. Like if I take a big risk and something falls apart, like I've got a family, I've got people that count on me. But you guys are at a point in your life where, man, you can take a huge risk. Right. If like, everything falls apart, you just move back in with mom and dad. Yeah, and you just start yeah. over, right? Like, <laughs> you, just, you didn't lose that much to begin with. Anyway. Yeah. Like, you got so much time. And, man, I'd give anything to go back to that point and tell myself that. Like, 
take that risk. Like, I know you're scared. I know maybe it's different. People tell you you can't do it. But I'm telling you, there will never be a time in your life where you can absorb that much risk and recover and still have most of your life left, you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, so, yeah, in this working genius thing, though, I've, I've been able to learn about myself. And like I said, my, my working genius is invention. So at this point, I've gotten very good at identifying opportunities because I look at an opportunity and I say, is my ability for invention the skill set that that opportunity needs? Right? Even if it's a good opportunity sometimes, even if there's like a great cash potential or, or whatever in it, if what that opportunity needs isn't invention, I don't do it. Um, because in the end, I'm just going to clog the system up because it needs somebody in there that maybe has that, you know, another one is tenacity, which is my least, my worst genius is tenacity because I'm not very good at follow up, like follow through. Like I'm very, like there's a graveyard of business ideas in, uh, you know, on my computer that I haven't <laughs> done because mm-hmm. I don't have that tenacity. It's just mm-hmm. not the way I'm built, but I'm very good at invention. So, um, you guys have such, such a awesome opportunity to try things and figure out like, what is it that you're naturally skilled toward? Um, so yeah, try stuff for God's sake, try it. Yeah, absolutely. So. Now, um, tag, do you think it's important, um, just focusing on one thing at one time, let's say when you and David, um, kind of going back to North Carolina, you've thought about wholesaling. Was there anything that was kind of going on in your mind too, that might have was interfering that wholesaling, you know, thinking space, you know, your thinking space, your invention, and how did you kind of deflect those? And, you know, how important do you think it is to just focus on that one thing and just really work on it and think deeply about it and deep thought? I think it's incredibly important with, with a caveat of saying that I think the most important thing you can do before you commit to something mm. is making sure that that something, that the process of whatever that thing is, brings you immense joy not like the hopeful outcome um it's a huge i mean that's why i mean the the largest demographic of people that commit suicide is me like affluent white men like we we commit suicide more than any other group because we've dedicated our lives to an outcome and then we got the outcome and it sucks like maybe it wasn't what we wanted Mm -hmm. so if you're gonna commit to something make sure that the process so not not, you know, I want to become a millionaire. Like that's a, the dumbest goal I've ever heard, but like, okay, if I want to be wealthy, like what, what part of me that, what thing about me that brings me incredible joy can be monetized. Mm-hmm. So I don't give a shit what it is. Like if you're into video games, like find a way that being into video games can make you money. Like if you're into real estate, there's tons of opportunities. If you're into, you know, whatever you're into, if you're into reading, if you're into writing, like whatever that thing is, sit down and, you know, just learn about yourself and then say, okay, what about myself can be monetized because you can spend 40 years dedicating yourself and staying in that one lane and doing that one thing. But if you're miserable for 40 years, you just wasted your life. Mm -hmm. So I tell people all the time, like I would not trade a single moment of sadness for any opportunity. Um, I mean, if you came in here and said, tag, Hey, I've got this opportunity and all you got to do is for one month, you've got to be really miserable. Like mm-hmm. one month, it's going to suck. I know you're going to be really miserable. You're going to hate yourself. You're going to hate your family. You're hate your, Like whatever. Like it's just mm-hmm. going to suck for one month. I wouldn't do it. Like no matter what the other side of that is because I don't know that I'm going to have more than a month. 
Like, I don't know that I'm, maybe on day 28, I get hit by a bus. Like, is that the way I want to leave the earth is by spending my last moments in misery? No. Like, find out, like, what you're good at, what you love, and then figure out a way that that can, can bring you wealth, not the other way around. Um, and I made that mistake when I was your age. I mean, of course, I was like, okay, what career path? <laughs> like, you know, I, I'll look around and see who has the nice car. And I'm like, okay, what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. want to do that. Well, that's the opposite. Like It's kind of comparing yourself to the other person. Yeah, honestly, yeah. because you, whatever they do, you may hate it. Mm-hmm. Like, So why in the world would I dedicate a minute of my, my limited life to try doing something that I don't enjoy, even if it gets me a nice car at one point? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's one of the biggest problems in, in our society, especially as men. Like, we pick the wrong stuff, man. Like, because I'm telling you, I've done that. Like, I've gotten, I've pursued the wealth Mm-hmm. And got it, and it wasn't at all what you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And so now, looking back, I wouldn't trade a moment of of joy in my life or passion in my life for for any, no matter the amount of money. I don't care, like a zillion dollars. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would not trade a day of happiness for a zillion dollars, and I mean that. Um, so so yeah. Yeah, Gary Vee always says happiness is the ROI. It is. Yeah, you, you can make you can make a million dollars, but if you never get to see your kids and that destroys you, yeah. well, if you don't make a million dollars, you make just enough money to where you get to spend time with your kids, yeah. then you're going to be much happier. Yeah. And then it's going to be so much more worth it, whatever yeah. you do. Absolutely. Yeah, so you always, I mean, happiness is the goal. Like, I have a chapter about that in my book. Like, happiness is the goal. You cannot sacrifice your happiness for anything. Because whatever you're sacrificing it for may not come to fruition. Um, so, so yeah, you've got you've to get away from that mentality and really just focus on what you're good at. Again, if you're listening to this and you're a UTC student or a recent grad, like you are, you can do anything. You cannot screw your life up enough <laughs> in the next five years that you can't easily recover and do something else. Like you literally can't. Mm-hmm. So, so take the risk. Find a way to whatever the thing you're into right now, find a way to monetize that. And you'll be happy the rest of your life. I mean, I tell people all the time, I don't, I, I don't have a single day that I wake up that I'm not dying to get into this office. And not out of a sense of I've got to get work done, because I don't work very much. Mm-hmm. I love being here. I love my people. I love, I love my work. So it doesn't feel like it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding that, man, if I could have found that when I was 22, 23, uh, it would have been amazing. I'm lucky to have found it now. Most people don't. But. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's an amazing tag, and I guess this would be a good time to just kind of transition into when you were talking about your office and just the people and just the culture that's here, and kind of the strategy you guys have of being in multiple markets and just being over a team and just um, how that how that all flows. Yeah, so I know that's a loaded question, but yeah, <laughs> what does a day at the office look like? So um, I'm a big fan. I mean, you mentioned Gary Vee. I'm mm-hmm. a big follower. I used to hate him, to be honest with you. Yeah. But now I'm, I mean, I love the guy. Um, so I'm a very big proponent of kind of an upside-down work cycle. So I don't have employees like they have an employee. Like I mm-hmm. work for my people and not the other way around. Um, so my job is to make them as successful as possible inside and outside of work. So I care deeply about my staff. Um I mean, if they have kids, I'm at the hospital and that baby's born. If they, um, whatever they need. I mean, middle of the night, if I get phone calls, they've got a flat tire, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. on my way to take care of them. There's a crib in your office right now. There's a crib in my office right now because one of my employees didn't have daycare that day. So 
I was the daycare. I literally held this baby all day long. It was yeah. like, great. It was awesome. So, um, so an upside-down work cycle to where my employees are never an inconvenience, no matter what's going on in their life. Um, and um, there's a, a great book. I can't remember the, the full name of the guy. Something Cunningham. It's called The Road Less Stupid, where he talks about the difference between a good work culture and perks. We don't have a lot of perks here. Like, like we're a small company, so we don't have great benefits. But, but the culture that we've created is a culture where um, there's there's this environment of care. Like I care about them. And if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, if you're going to scale any business, you have to have people. Like it's impossible. There isn't mm-hmm. a business model out there that you can get beyond that hustle phase without hiring people and without bringing people into your mission. Um, I tell people this a lot. It's my favorite story. So I, I can call my bank right now and be like, hey, can you take the phone into the safe? And I want to talk to my money. So I can get on the phone with my money and be like, hey, money, I'm really proud of you. You've done a good job lately. I appreciate you. If there's anything you need, like, let me know and I'll take care of you. Is my money going to perform any better? No. <laughs> like, it's not. Like, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. I can go out. If I'm a farmer, I can go out to my farm and I can put my arm around my tractor and tell it how awesome it is and how much I love it and appreciate it. And is it going to perform any better? No. They're probably going to lock me up. Like, Human capital is the only capital, and I use the word manipulate, not in a negative way, but that you can you can manipulate human capital to get a better result simply by changing the way it feels. Mm-hmm. So, um, so when, money doesn't have emotions. Money is emotion. People do. People do. So, so people, if you if you can understand that when you begin your leadership journey, you'll you'll turn into an incredible leader because you'll learn over time. That the more you can promote positive emotions in the workplace, the better result you'll get. Um, I mean, you guys were just in my office. You guys rolled in about four fifteen, and it's empty. Like they're all gone. Like they mm-hmm. left already. Most of them rolled in about ten o'clock, drank some mm-hmm. coffee, <laughs> had some chats, then went to lunch, and then put in probably two hours worth of work today. But I would put that two hours worth of work of my people up against anybody's eight hours of work. Mm. I promise you I would. Like I would, mm. and I have before. I have other, other players in the industry that are kind of doing similar volume. I show them the input that my people do versus the output that we get from them, and it's crazy. I mean, the amount of quality work that I get from them is amazing because the culture I've created is one of caring, compassion, empathy, and they work harder and more, and they get better quality work during that two hours than most people would get in eight. So, um, so yeah, we've, we've created a really good culture here. Um, and if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be able to do that. That's the only way to scale a business. Um, and um, the way you do that is getting people on board with your personal mission. Um, if you ask anybody in my company what TAG's personal mission is, they'll tell you. TAG wants to be the best employer in Chattanooga. Like, that's my goal. I want to be a millionaire. I want to be a billionaire. I don't want... My company to have, there's no metric behind that. There's no number behind that. But they know that my personal mission in life is to be the best employer in Chattanooga. And because of that, I mean, as an employee, would you not be able to get on board with that mission? Mm-hmm. So, of course, man, yeah. they love it here. Like, my most of my people would lay down in front of a bus for this company because they know that this company is for them. Mm. So even though they may not get paid the most, maybe they might have the best benefit, they won't leave. Um, and I, I mean, you know that in this season and 
for this society, it's hard for people to stay in any one place for very long. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, everybody's changing jobs all the time. That's that's perfectly all right. But nobody leaves my company. Like they just don't uh, because of that culture and the fact that I've gotten them on board with my mission. And now what they see it as their company. So um, so they just perform at, at an unbelievable level. So, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. That's super awesome. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Anything? Um. I guess just um, um, that was that was beautiful. By the way, tag how you just kind of covered the culture and just uh, how important human capital is and how important it is to be um, upside down the upside down work cycle. Yeah, I work for them. Yeah, like don't mistake. Mm-hmm. Like I work for them. Like mm-hmm. they're the boss. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, um, tag, could you kind of go over um, your whole team of um, kind of how it flows? Would you mind if we kind of cover that? Yeah. Um, so uh, our company is kind of divided into three different kind of segments or departments. Mm -hmm. We have our leads department, which those are the people that go out to find these motivated sellers. So they take an enormous amount of data and and go out and search for the people that we think are most likely to want to sell their house to an investor. So that's our leads department. Um, I have uh, four people that are just kind of like that's what they do. They cold call. They reach out through text message, social media. So they they find those people through different routes. And then there's a department leader um, over that uh, over that department. And then I have we have our acquisitions department, which is um, these are the people that actually talk to sellers, find out if they're a good fit, um, negotiate a purchase price, walk them through the process. So they're kind of the relationship with uh, the seller. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, after we kind of firm up our agreement with the seller, you know, our partners kind of go through a decision about what to do with this property. Yep. Again, whether I'm going to buy it, hold it, or, or assign the contract. Is the, are those the buckets, the, the buy and hold? Mm-hmm. So um, you and David will buy these properties and win them out, mm-hmm. and then um, assignment, and then um, do you guys do any, like, creative deals are like that or is it most cash transactions David does does quite a few of those I am not built to be a landlord so <laughs> I actually don't hold anything other than my personal properties yeah. so uh, but David does I think he's actually he'd be a great person to interview by the way um, mm. he's got a ton of owner financed uh, rental properties so he'd be a great person if he has to talk to yeah, you about that absolutely. Um, so if one of those opportunities comes up typically just, you have fun yeah so mm. um, so yeah so um yeah, so we either buy it, hold it, buy it, flip it, and sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do something called wholetailing. I don't know if you guys know what that is, yeah. but basically you close on the property yep. and, and then, then you list on the market. Yeah. So, yep. so um, or we assign the contract. So, so after the acquisition department, there's an, a th- the third department, which is disposition. So there's acquisition, acquiring, disposition, which is disposing of that property again into one of those buckets. Um, so we have people in the department that are. Uh, basically sales agents. So they call investors around the country and see, hey, are you interested in this property mm-hmm. uh, to see about connecting the two. So, um, so that's kind of what our, our setup is like. And there's me and David that you know, kind of run the company. Yeah. I, I lead the leads, leads department and the acquisitions department, and then David leads disposition. That's awesome. So is um, kind of the, the leads department, the generating of the leads, almost like the dispositions department where you guys are kind of prospecting investors and building relationships and just building rapport through there? Or there is. There's of? an interesting like dynamic that's different about the two that makes it to where the two sides really don't overlap, mm-hmm. even though they both kind of do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're talking to a seller, um, 
you need less of a sales personality yeah. and really more of an like somebody who's actually looking out for their best interests. Mm. Is selling to an investor the right thing to do? So it's really more of a customer service role than a, a salesperson. Um, and that, in fact, I, and I've gone through hiring every different type of personality for acquisition managers you could imagine, and uh, the salespeople never work um, because people can sniff out a salesman very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people don't want to sell a home to a salesman. They just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so all, all of our acquisition reps are, I mean, they're, they're sweet, they're kind, they don't rush people, they're, they're there more to educate them and, and mm-hmm. see if this is a good fit. Yeah, so, they're a problem solver. They're not yeah, selling anything. Yeah, they're not selling anything. Yeah. So whereas on the, the disposition side, those are salespeople. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're talking to investors who love to negotiate, who love to barter. Who love, I mean, they just – so those people need to have a different personality. So even within our company, it's almost like we have two different companies. Um, mm-hmm. So even within kind of how our culture is, our disposition culture is different than our acquisitions culture. So um, our dispo culture is a little more like sales oriented and, and more a little more urgency and, and you know kind of that kind of environment. So, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the way our stuff's broken up. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what were you going to ask questions to him? I was just going to say, if we're ready to dive into advice, I have a question. If 18 or 20-year-old Tag was sitting at this table and he told you he wanted to have a career in real estate, what kind of advice would you give to him? That's a tough question, but uh, I think it'd be a lot of value to the listeners. If he wanted to be involved in real estate, um, can we change that to any 18-year-old and not me? Because I'd have some pretty specific advice. (laughs) But... um, because for me personally, I would probably say don't go into real estate, but that's not the mm-hmm. advice I would give to most people. Um, if you're, if you're, again, if you're younger, um, especially, and I'd also ask: Is it when I was eighteen, or is it eighteen today? Um, today. Okay. So, if anybody wants to get into real estate investing today, you need to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. we are in the most forgiving investment environment. Like that's probably ever existed because the market is so hot, supply is so low and demand is so high. It is really, really hard to not have at least some level of success with just a little bit of education in, in our current market. Um, and that's, that's even changed from, you know, four years ago when I got into it. I mean, the market is so forgiving, um, even if you mess up, the market is is appreciating so fast, it'll probably cover up your mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have a flip that I'm doing right now that I think we we picked it up in in March, early March, and they assigned it an ARV, which just means after repair value. Mm-hmm. So they assigned its value after repairs at like two sixty five. They just re-ran the numbers, and it's at 295 since March, mm-hmm. right? So, like, even if I had gotten into this deal— If you're and, way over budget, you're still going to make money. I'm still going to make money. So the market is so forgiving, you got to get into it. I mean, again, like, no matter who I talk to, if you think you enjoy real estate and, and like, you can find an avenue that brings you joy, like, you better get into it because we're going to look back— in 2030 and be like, oh my God, do you remember what it was like in 2020 and 2021? Like how easy it was. Um, mm-hmm. cause the risk is so low. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, if you have an interest, and if you're probably listening to this podcast, you have some level of interest, mm-hmm. find an avenue that excites you. Um, and I mean any of them. Like if you want to mm-hmm. do wholesaling, that's awesome. If you want to, if you want to be a realtor, that's awesome. I mean, if, no matter what you want to do, the real estate market is so hot and so forgiving right now. Now's the time. Like just, just do it. So. Awesome. Yeah. What um you um advise um, any listeners kind of a direction of where they could find these resources? Um, yeah. So. I'll be honest with you, most of what you you need to learn about pretty much any form of real estate, yeah. you can do it through YouTube. Yeah. Like, However, there is a caveat in that. Make sure that the, the person or the information you're following really knows what they're talking about. You know, Check their bona fides to make sure that this person has success. Because unfortunately, um, you, know, you, you guys probably know about the Dunning-Kruger effect of 10 minutes after we learn something, we're an expert until we like learn more and then realize we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are putting information on social media because it's free and easily accessible. They really don't know what they're talking about. Um, so if you're following somebody, uh, make sure that they're bona fide and they've actually been successful. If you're talking to somebody who says they're really good at wholesaling, like see how long they've had a YouTube channel. Like make sure it's not somebody who just popped up last week and now they're giving advice. So um, if you're looking into, if you want just really basic stuff about wholesaling, there's a guy based out of Birmingham named Ty, uh, Ty the Flip Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I mean, seen some of Ty's videos. He's got hundreds of videos, um, and they're entertaining, and it's good information. Uh, you know, if you're in, interested in, uh, you know, creative finance stuff, uh, there's a guy named Pace Morby, who's a good friend of mine, who has great content. I mean, ridiculously good content he puts out there. For instance, to wholesaling, I mean, I have some stuff out there, not a lot. Um, but um, there's a, a company called Wholesaling Inc. that does a lot of just free education. TTP. TTP, yep. So uh, there's, they have a lot of good education out there if you're interested in uh, condo conversions. there's I mean, there's just no matter what you find interesting – just kind of go down that path and see if the interest and in, like you create some passion there and just make sure that they're bona fide. Like don't, mm. you know, cause people can't give bad advice and you can end up getting sued. So, so just make sure that whoever you're following really knows what they're talking about, has experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Tim, you got any more questions for tag before? I don't think so. Uh, you had mentioned earlier something about your book. Do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. I'll think about that. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, it's not a, it's a book. I wrote a book. Mm-hmm. It's probably never going to get published, but, um, I wrote a book. Yeah. So now we're pushing you to publish it because that's <laughs> okay. That like, like 13, just, 13 people listen a, to this. So. Okay, good. So 13 people don't pay any attention. You'll never see it. So no, I wrote kind of a memoir book. Um, okay. and I wrote it last year and I'll never ever publish it, but okay. But there's a good portion about happiness is the goal in it. So awesome. And maybe um, touching on something I think would be really cool is um, any, I guess, any routines that you do every day, whether it be looking at your goals, um, whether it be writing in a journal, um, listening to a motivational video, or just just something that you would advise our members just to consider, maybe kind of um, just creating that habit for themselves and practicing it. Um, So the main thing is always – Always be humble enough to know every single morning you wake up that you're not the smartest person about whatever you think they're the smartest person about. Mm-hmm. Um, 
actually have this little little thing in my bathroom that I see every morning that says you're wrong about 50% of the things you're right you think you're right about. So, um, because no matter what, no matter how sure I am of whatever I'm thinking, there's other 50% of people disagree with me, mm-hmm. at least 50%. So, so always have this thirst for understanding whatever it is you're into more. Um, so. That's that's just, that's part of my routine. You have to start every day and everything with gratitude, um, and that may sound very cliche, um, but I can attribute a lot of my mental well-being and my success to the fact that um, that I start every day and every process with gratitude. We actually have a daily meeting here at our company where everybody gets together and we go around our circle and everybody says what they're grateful for that day. So um, everything we do starts with gratitude um, because if you start with gratitude, it's really, really hard to be in a negative frame of mind for the rest of the day. So um, so gratitude is very important. You mentioned meditation. Um, it's changed my life completely. I mean, I've, I mean, it's taken me from some points where I was almost suicidal to being a like being a really thriving functional adult so uh so meditation is an important practice to have um but find something that fits with your personality not all of us are you know a good fit for like mantra meditation or something like that so um but meditation i think should be part of everybody's everybody's practice um absolutely is there like a certain type of environment you put yourself in during that meditation or is this just kind of it be laying in bed or yeah, so so I actually do both. So I have a kind of a morning time meditation that I do before my kids are out of bed. Um, the house is still quiet, you know, it's it's peaceful. So um, and and that meditation is um, is really just kind of a mindfulness practice. So focused on breathing, focused on how I feel in the moment, just to get myself kind of calmed down and and at peace before my kids wake up and are thinking it's crazy. Um, <laughs> And then at night, I have a different routine with a different, like, and that, that meditative practice at night is, is different. I actually do some mantra, some yogic, some, a bunch of different types of medicate, meditation. Um, so I do that at night. Um, and then I do meditations throughout the day. I do a walking meditation. I drive, like, there's just, there's so much usefulness um, to being able to train your brain to cut out the clutter and focus. Um, I mean, I've had ADHD since I was a kid um, and being able to, to focus is I attribute my ability to do that to meditation because you're literally training my brain to focus on my breath or focus on how my arms feel or my hands feel or whatever. So, um, it's incredible brain training and, um, it's hard for a lot of people and that's completely get it, but it's been really powerful for my life. You mentioned journaling too. That's really important. Um, I actually have a, it's a software. I can't remember what it's called, but every day I get an email um, and I just basically reply to the email, kind of the, my thoughts for the day. And then it stores them. And I've been doing that for about four years now. And it's interesting to see because every day now it sends me something from my past. So it'll tell me, hey, on October 23rd of 2019, this is what you said happened that day. So it's so good to have that reflective point on, I mean, some days I'm just amazed at, like how far I've come in that short period of time because we forget all the stuff that's happened to us in those periods of time. So journaling is really important. It's important to get that stuff out on paper. Um, social time is really important. And we get when you're y'all's age, that's hard to not be social, I mean, let's be honest. Um, but as you get older and you get more responsibilities and families and things like that, it's easy to isolate yourself. So um, 
like I actually have a social routine that I force myself to to make sure I have a human connection. It's mm-hmm. really important. So, what about goals? Do you write down your goals and like, like keep track of them? Because uh, JD Frost is really big on goals. He yeah. tells everybody write your goals down twice a day. Just keep track of everything, and because um, it's if you want something to happen, you need to write it down. Is something that he Absolutely. says a lot. Yeah, yeah. We never, we never. Michael Hyatt says we never drift toward un, toward intended purposes. So like. We get to where we want to go because we're focused on it, and we, mm-hmm. we try to get there. So we never drift in that direction. Um, yeah, I do. I um, I have a I have a, a journal that's open on my all day all day long that has both my three tasks for the day as well as my overall goals. Um, and I'm I'm a little older in life to where um, my goals are less um, quantifiable than they used mm-hmm. to be. I mean, my goal for 2021 is to be happier, 20 percent happier than I was in 2020. So, um, and that's very hard to, to quantify, but um, I've been doing this kind of stuff long enough that that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm pursuing, um, because that's my goal and it's always at the forefront of my mind, I'm pursuing those things that make me happier. Um, so, um, so yeah, goals are a very important part of any successful journey. Um, I do warn people not to have too long, your goals should be, the length of the length of term of your goal should be kind of equal to the amount of energy you can put into it. So mm-hmm. I almost ne- never recommend anybody to have a ten year goal. I mean, the idea that I'm going to know where I'm going to be in ten years is laughable looking back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I usually tell people unless you're going to be a doctor, like nothing should be planned out eight years in advance. <laughs> yeah. Know? Um, so, I mean, if that's where you want to be, if you want to be a doctor or you want to be a surgeon and you know I'm going to need to spend the next decade in education for this goal, then, yeah, that's great. Um, but otherwise, your your goals should be to give you the life that makes you happy. So, um, so you'd be surprised if you looked at my goal sheet how few of them are actually monetary or, um, or, or even work-related. Again, with our upside-down culture st- here, a lot of my goals are, like, you need to make sure that Preston feels, um, like, happy about the fact that he's just, you know, or encouraged about his new marriage. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of mine are really based off what will bring me joy. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, we have to plan. Nothing happens by accident. Um, and for me, a goal is just another word for a plan. Yeah. And what did those plans or those goals look like? say four years ago when you were just starting the business, it was a lot different, I'd assume. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot different. Um, and if you want to be an entrepreneur, they always will. They always will look different. Mm-hmm. You can never beat yourself up over that. At some point they got to look like something money, something business. Yeah. But then once you get to where, once you reach those goals, then they can be about happiness, about the people around you. Yeah. That. Yeah. I think the monetary goals need to be, um, need to be very short lived and you need to give yourself a lot of grace with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, never put a, a goal on paper that's ego driven. Um, I talk to a lot of, I mentor a lot of young guys and I'll ask them like, what do you want? And they'll say, I want to be a millionaire. Like that's what I want. And usually that's the qualifier on whether I will mentor them or not. Because mm-hmm. if you say something like, I, what's your goal? I want to be a millionaire. Like that's not a goal. Like that's mm-hmm. just what, that's just feeding your ego. Um, so, so yeah, early on, your goals will be very quantifiable. I want to do this many deals. I want this to be my average, you know, deal or whatever. 
or I want to make $60,000 my first year in this or whatever. And those, those are really, really good goals, but those have to be short-term. Um, mm. If your goals continually are revenue-based, you're going to end up being very miserable because at some point you're, you will realize that money doesn't get you happiness. Like it just doesn't. So, um, and I've seen it over and over and over again, even within myself, you get to a certain point and I'm like, great. Like I made the amount of money that I wanted to. And I'm like, man, I'm no happier than I was when like I made a lot less. So mm. at some point your, your goals have to be less quantifiable and more, more about your quality of life. But yeah, in the short term, absolutely. You can have, I got to do X in this next year because that'll drive you toward it. Mm. So Hopefully awesome. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Totally. Awesome. Well, Tag, thank you so much yeah, for absolutely. your time today. And um, um, if you wouldn't mind, is there is there a place our members could reach out to you and ask questions or our best? Do young people use Instagram still? Oh, oh yeah. Time. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, Instagram is <laughs> the best way to reach out. Um, my handle is the wrong tag. So if you just reach out to me that way, that's probably the best. I'm on Facebook a lot, but mm. it's, I never check it because it's really crowded. So, um yeah, Instagram is the best way too. If you're in Chattanooga, come see me. I mean, we're we're close by, and I love I love talking about stuff. So, cool. you got anything going on you want people to know about? No. Nothing. No, just just living your life. Just living my life. Awesome. So. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, guys.